Today we are fi finishing up the book of Ephesians. And we're going through Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through the end. And we've been talking about who we are in Christ, that in Christ we can fight for unity. In Christ we are light. And today what we are going to talk about is being in Christ, we are armed. We are given the armor of God in Christ Jesus. Right now I just want you to open your hands up. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to ask God, arm me today. Arm me today, God. In Jesus' name. We're going to Peru tonight. We, um... We're taking off Crystal Lake around 9 o'clock. We're going to be, our plane takes off at 1.30 in the morning. And uh, we're going to be heading down. And so this week, there's only two type of people in the world. They're the people who start packing a month in advance. And people who pack three minutes before they leave their house. There's no middle ground. There are only two type of people. I'm the latter. The thing about packing for a trip like this is you, 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 you get one backpack, a small backpack. Hold up your backpack there, Zach. For 10 days, we're going to have a backpack maybe a little bit bigger than this. Just a little bit bigger than that. That's what we're going to get for 10 days because here's the key. We don't need to bring everything. We just need to bring the right things. All right, I'm, I'm teaching a spiritual principle right now. You don't need to bring everything. You just need to bring the right things. And today I'm going to talk about three things that we see in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 6, about being armed in Christ. What are the right things? What do we bring with us as we go out on mission? I'm not just talking about a mission trip. I'm talking about going on with our lives. What right three things do we carry with us? We carry the power of God. We carry the clothing of God, and we carry the stories of God. Those three things. As we are going out on a mission, we are carrying the power of God with us. We're going to see that in Ephesians chapter 6. We carry the clothing of God on us, and we carry the stories of God. Those are demonstrated through us. I want you to ask yourself right now, do you carry the power of God with you? Have you been baptized with his Holy Spirit? Do you carry the clothing of God, the armor of God? We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. And do you carry the stories of God? Are the testimonies of what the Lord is doing consistently on your lips? Just like we're going to Peru and we're carrying not everything but the right things. Today, I hope there's an impartation of the right things into your life that you will carry with you for the rest of your days. That when you wake up in the morning, you're going to say, am I carrying the power of God, the clothing of God, and the stories of God today? That when you feel depression starting to attack you, you're going to say no because I know the stories of God and I know what he thinks about me and I know how this is going to end. 
when it seems like marriage things are helpless and that you're in a really dark place, you say no because we have been both covered with the power of God. We are clothed with God and we are going to testify to the stories of God knowing that this darkness isn't it. Do you carry those three things with you? Because this isn't about just going to Peru. This is about leading inside of your family at home. This is about leading in your workplace. This is about when you're going to Chick-fil-A, not on Sunday, but on Monday, carrying these three things with you all of the time. Come on, Ephesians chapter 6. Here we go. You know, there's an amazing story in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. You don't have to turn there. But I, I love this one line. And, and, and as we're thinking about it, I'm going to talk about the power of God first. Remember when uh, Assyria is coming against King Hezekiah? And it says, for the one with us is greater than the one with them. Look at verse 10 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. It says, finally, finally, Paul is concluding his letter. He says, I want you to know one last thing. Pay attention. Finally, pay attention. This is how things are going to end. This is how you're going to go out after you read this letter. So I want to say, finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. The power of God. Did you notice that in verse 10 he says, be strong in the Lord and have strength in his might. In his might. Do you know what might is? Might is possessing power without having to demonstrate it. You think about if, if you were going to go to, I know there's some Forge Fitness fanatics in here. You work out at Forge Fitness. There are some behemoths of men in there. Jackson's smiling. He's like, yeah, I'm one of them. And there's some people that are just massive in there. And, and it, it doesn't take much to know that this person, by, but based on just how they look, would, would crush me like a little bug. That's might. They don't have to do anything. You can just see it. It's like an atomic bomb, might. What, it's a piece of metal, but contained in that metal, there is a power that you have never heard of. See, we're talking about being strong in the might of the Lord. It's not in ourselves. Feel the freedom to not have to be strong enough. I, I, I was athletic at one point in my life going through high school and into college, and I've been joking around. Uh, in Peru, we're going to be going up and down uh, to an elevation of, of about 15,000 feet. Back in the day, you know, that would have not been too hard. Now I'm a little worried. 
And for like the first time in my life, and I mean this, this is something that I'm like, I don't physically have enough strength in me to complete this. And God says, perfect. You know, sometimes we can make missions and things, we can elevate them to this this place and I want, and it can be exciting and it is exciting. It can be just so intense and it is intense, but I want to tell you, it's going to be very hard for me to leave my wife and my kids at home for 10 days. My heart hurts thinking about not being with my wife, my best friend for 10 days. Because see, the Lord has put me as the protector of the house. He's put me as the strong one in the house. But guess what? When I'm gone, I don't have to rely on my strength. I can rely on the might of the Lord. You see how this works? We don't have to plan everything together. We just know that we serve a God who has a plan and who has all things together. That we trust in his might. And it says in the word in verse 10, do you see where it said to be strong? We see David is a picture of this. When people were coming against him and he should have been depressed when he should have been worn out, when he shouldn't have just given up. You know what the word says he did? It says that he strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself. That he came face to face with the Lord and he says, God, because I have seen you, I know your might and this is what's true. This is why I don't have to worry. See, we don't have to just rely on other people to build us up. That in Christ, we can actually strengthen ourselves because of the truth of who God is. The power of God. Do you carry the power of God with you? Your translation might say struggle. It might say wrestle for we do not wrestle, it says, against flesh and blood. It's interesting because the word against is, is used about five times through the section. But the word wrestle, this is the only time, it's the word palais. This is the only time in the entire Bible that this word is used. And it was this picture of two guys coming together and wrestling at the Isthmian Games or the Olympic Games of the time. Only time it's used. He's referring to wrestling at the Olympic Games. And I just, I'm, I'm going to speak bluntly because I, I think it, it serves a good point. Did you know in the Olympic Games, clothing was not so much of a thing when they first started? And they would literally put like, oil and just sand on themselves and they would just go at it. And when you would look at something like this, you don't have to pretend, but if you would just think about this type of wrestling, he's saying, this is, this is what we do. We wrestle like this. And I think there's an important principle here. And why Paul used that word? Because he's trying to communicate something. Palais. He's saying, although you don't see with your eyes, the weaponry, when we wrestle, be rest assured that it is there. You literally possess an invisible armory because of who you are in Christ. It's there. If you've ever known someone who does martial arts or anything like that, you wouldn't know most people going up to them. But you better be careful because they will karate chop you 
to the ground. They literally have an invisible weaponry. Where's my buddy Milton at? Milton, you around? Invisible weaponry Milton has. Where's my buddy Keith Wiesa at? Is Keith Wiesa in the house? Right next to him. See, dangerous men. Keith may have the smile of a teddy bear, but this army airborne man has the hands of Jackie Chan. All right. no, make, make no mistake about it. Don't let the smile fool you. Invisible weaponry. Do you know that you have invisible weaponry that was given to you by God? But God, I, I don't see it. I just don't see it. Yeah, because it's invisible. That's the point. It's something that is inside of you. Look at what it says. Look at verse 11. Well, let's jump down to verse 12. For we do not wrestle. It talks about the schemes of the, the devil, first off. Did you know that the devil is going to try to play tricks on you? Did you know that he's going to try to get you off your game? That he's going to try to distract you from what the mission God has placed you on? That he's going to try to detract from the glory of God in your life? They're schemes. I want everybody to say the word schemes. It's just a scheme. I feel so attacked. Why is this happening right now? It's a scheme to get you focused onto yourself instead of on God. In just a little bit, I'm going to talk about Satan doesn't need us to be Satan-centered. Satan just wants us to be self-centered. Because then we're not Christ-centered, and he's one. It's a scheme. Everyone say scheme. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle, pale, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I want to read another scripture for you in 1 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, right? We're humans. We're, we, we walk in the flesh. What we can see is flesh and blood. We are not waging war according to the flesh. Did you know that? When someone is coming against you, when you're trying to advance the kingdom, when you're trying to work out business deals, that those per people that can seem like they may hate you and are trying to ruin everything for you aren't the people that we're actually coming against. Do you realize that? When there are battles going on inside of your household and you're like, why is this person my enemy? You are mistaken. It is a scheme of the devil. They are not your enemy because our enemies are not flesh and blood. That is the first step to identifying the schemes of the enemy. What is true? Maybe you are fighting. I, I, I feel it in my spirit right now that the, the Lord is speaking to marriages today. Maybe you are fighting with your spouse and it's not stopping and it's all these backstabbing things. I'm telling you, this isn't about flesh and blood. The first step is get on the same team. We are the ones who are fighting the things that are unseen with an invisible armory around us. Whatever it takes to get on the same page, if it's meeting with other couples... If it's spending time in the word like you never have before, it is worth it. That is the first step. Identify the devil's schemes. Not flesh and blood. It's not human. It's, it talks about rulers. Maybe your translation says principalities. 
a ruler. This is uh, arche. It is, it is a Greek word. It's literally referring to demons. This is the first legion of demons. I'm not going to go into demonology uh, very deeply today. But there are demonic forces at work in the world among us. At this church, uh, we have people come in all the time who have demons. People get demons cast out. Why? Because God has given us power and authority over the demonic realm. It's not by my might. We don't cast out demons by our strength. We cast them out by the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. Every believer in Jesus can do this. Period. Still for today. Period. Have you ever met someone with unshakable anxiety? Press in, saints. Press in. It's not flesh and blood. It's not flesh and blood. There are spiritual forces we are fighting against. So he goes through the hierarchy in this. We actually see this modeled also in 1 Corinthians 15, 24, and 25, if you want to make a note of that. Because it, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 24, and 25, that the Lord is literally going to use us as saints to crush down the system of the enemy. So the first thing we see, we see rulers. Think of demons. We see authorities. Excusia. Demons who take authority over someone. We see this in the form of addictions, strongholds, depression, bondage, anything that is binding someone together, I would put this under the category of an authority. We see cosmic powers or world. Cosmos means world, world forces. This is the only time I believe we see this word in the New Testament. Think of governments that reject God openly. World forces. There are some governments that are set up in a way that they reject God. Think of Islam. Think of some of these African countries that are run. We have missionaries in Indonesia. There is a strong cosmic power through Islam in Indonesia right now. It is a spiritual stronghold over an entire nation. We think of spiritual forces of evil. This is, and I'm not going to go into great detail about this, maybe another time. In 2 Corinthians 12, we see this concept of a third heaven, second heaven, third heaven. Third heaven being the throne room of God. Second heaven uh, being where there are literally spiritual forces of evil and, and a spiritual battle going on. Think of spiritual forces of evil like an engine room. If you've ever been in a giant industrial building in the engine room, this is where the plans are literally being drawn up. That's why in 1 John 5, 19, it says, We know that we are from God, but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It is a spiritual battle that we are facing. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, In their case, the God of this world... Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. We are fighting a spiritual battle. But listen, we don't have to be afraid. It's not by our might that we are going to win. It is by the might of God. That's why we can overcome. I want you to turn real quick to 1 Corinthians 15. 
Let me read verses 24 and 25. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every in power. For he must reign until he has put all the enemies under his feet. And that is what God is going to do. All of these things we just read about will be under the feet of our creator. And guess what? He's using us to do it. See, God loves to demonstrate his might. God loves to demonstrate his glory, and he does it through his children. You have a big role in this. That's why do not get distracted by the schemes of the enemy. The power of God. I want to talk about the clothing of God. Right? We read in uh, Ephesians 4 two weeks ago about putting on the new self. You remember that when I had those suit jackets? Putting on the new self. First, we got to take off the old self, hang that up, throw that in the garbage, rip that to pieces, and then we put on our new self. There are a lot of things that we put on. Now we're going to go into the armor of God. Verse 13. It says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and shoes for your feet, having put on of the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. It says to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. It says stay awake, stay awake, keep alert, stay awake, don't fall asleep. Today, if you hear my voice, don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. It's going to take perseverance. You're warned in advance. But this is really hard. Yeah, it is. But you're not doing it by your own strength. You're doing it by the might of our mighty God. It says, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, asking for things, for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in, uh, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I want to talk about just for a second the armor of God. You know the word of, it's a possessive word. It's who the armor belongs to. A lot of times we get this picture of the armor of God being like, a soldier, like a medieval soldier. We have a picture of a medieval soldier. Like that, right? How many people, just be honest, you don't have to be embarrassed. How many people, this is like a picture you always see or think of when you think of the armor of God? Okay, me too, 100%, me too. So when we talk about the armor of God, we actually have to look back throughout the word of God of what his armor is. I want you to pull up the picture of a priest for a second. Not a Catholic priest. This would be a Jewish priest. If you notice, and I'm going to walk through this, if you notice, 
There's a helmet on him, a turban. There's a breastplate. There's a belt. There is a robe. He would be holding up the Torah. The very word of God is a sword. See, sometimes there's two camps when we're interpreting a passage. Can I just talk about technical things real quick? A lot of times when people interpret this text, they think of, oh, Paul was in jail and he was thinking of a Roman soldier and he was sitting around and he was, you know, just, oh, look, a Roman soldier. It's kind of like this. It's not really like that. Paul knew the word of God as a trained Pharisee. And you can imagine as he's writing things down, he's like, no, you don't need to be like a Roman soldier who is oppressing the Jewish people. You need to be like God. And what I want to say, and I want to get this in our minds, is that God is a warrior, but he is a warrior priest. The picture isn't of a Roman soldier. The picture is of a warrior priest. I wish the word priest was a word that we could reclaim for ourselves, for the people of God. It has been so twisted. A lot of times when we think of priest, it has now become identified with effeminate men with soft hands. I wish more than anything we could take this word back because that was never, ever, ever the picture of who a priest is. The priests were first named in Exodus chapter 32 when they were told to grab swords and to start going to war both in the spirit and physically against those who were committing idolatry. We see a warrior priest with Phineas in Numbers 25 when he sees two people sinning against God right in front of the temple. And they go into a, a tent to continue their sin together. And he goes in after them with a spear. And it says that he stabbed both of them through their stomachs, which is actually a Hebrew euphemism for something else. And the priest stood for what you will sin by, you will also die by. Priests were always meant to be warriors. And that is the picture of who our Lord is as we're going to look through the Old Testament. When I say the word priest, I want you to say boldly the word warrior. Not yet, Lindy. <laughs> priest. Warrior. Now I'm going to say the word warrior and I want you to say priest. Warrior. Priest. Priest. Warrior. Come on, I don't see everyone playing along with this. Warrior. Priest. Priest. Warrior. Warrior. Priest. Amen. I'm telling you, priests were always meant to be warriors. Let's look at that in the Word of God. Let's, I'm going to talk about, uh, first, the Lord, because it's the armor of God, right? Just like a samurai would pass down his armor to the generations after them. We are actually receiving the very armor of what God wears. Remember, it's not flesh and blood. It's not something physical. We are talking about the spiritual connected to why Paul used the word pale. It's not something you can see. It's this uh, invisible inside arsenal. All on the same page. Here we go. In Isaiah 11.5, so we see the belt of truth in Ephesians 6. Truth is what holds us together. Truth based on what? Here we go. 
Isaiah 11.5, it's talking about Jesus, really. But it says, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. This is something a warrior would wear. Not only a warrior, but a priest would wear a belt of righteousness. This is what is true, the belt of truth. This is what is from God. This is what is not from God. This is what is right. That is what our king wears. Ezekiel 21.3. Thus says the Lord, behold, I am against you, and you, I will draw... Excuse me, and will draw my sword from its sheath and cut off from among you, both the righteous and the wicked. This was a time where he was saying that both the righteous and the wicked are going to be affected by my judgment. We think of the sword. The sword of... We're going to come back to Jesus with the sword, the word of God, right? The word of God coming from his mouth. We're going to see in Revelation. It's written on him in Revelation 19. When it's talking about, I'm going to take my sword. He's like, I'm going to use my word. And this is going to be decreed. And this is going to, be ha this is going to happen. So we see a belt. We see a sword. In Jeremiah 51, 20. It says, you, he's talking about his people. Receive this for yourself right now. Literally, get your heart ready to receive this. Because this is what God's saying about his people. You are my hammer and weapon of war. With you I break nations in pieces. With you I destroy kingdoms. Amen. He has a hammer, a weapon of war. Now Isaiah 59. It says, he saw that there was no man. This is verse 16. Isaiah 59, 16, it says, he saw that there was no man. And wondered that there was no one to intercede. Flip back to Ephesians for just a second. So I want to drive this point home a little bit. Do you see how that's one of the weapons where it says in verse 18 of chapter 6. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. This text right here, this verse has been watered down time and time and time again. When the word says to pray in the spirit, it is always connected to praying in heavenly tongues. This is why every child of God can pray in tongues. We pray for people to be filled with the spirit. And we pray for a prayer language to come forth. It is connected to tongues exclusively in 1 Corinthians 12.3 and 1 Corinthians 14.2. Having a prayer language. This isn't optional. Do you see how it says in here? Pray at all times in the spirit. It is a command. We are to pray in the spirit. And if we use the word of God to interpret the word of God, we have to take praying in the spirit as praying in tongues. This is part of our arsenal that we have against the enemy. I'm telling you today, if you are a child of God, and you're like, yes, I, I see that in the word. I want to pray in tongues. Come up here and we will pray for you and you will be filled and you will pray in tongues. It's open to all believers. It's not just reserved. It's because God works all gifts in all men, it says. 
It is open for all. It's not optional. This is why when we are in a place where we're being spiritual attacked, spiritually attacked and we don't know what to do, the first place we can go is start praying in the spirit right there. It is a weapon of warfare. Maybe you're new here and you hear people praying in tongues and you're like, how does that work? It's because we are going to war right now. We're not just here to sit back and to enjoy a C-minus message or to enjoy just spending time with our friends. We are here to war. We are here to be encouraged by God Almighty. We are here to be connected with one another so we can leave this place and go out and battle like the Lord has intended us to. Elder Mark Morrison talks about quite frequently that there is a generation, it talks about in Judges, there is a generation who has forgotten how to war, and that will not be said of my generation. We are restoring the people's ability to war, and it starts here. A rising church, why do you guys pray in tongues? It's kind of weird. It makes me feel funny. It's because we're in a war and we take it seriously. Amen? Sweet. Back to Isaiah 59. Verse 16. It says again, He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. There was no one to step in the gap. There was no one to call out. So what, is, what does God do? Then his own arm brought him salvation. And his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. This isn't referring to the priestly breastplate. It's a different word in Hebrew. This is referring to a warrior's breastplate, to armor, to the armor that Jonathan gave to David. We see uh, this imagery once again. It was armor for going out to war. This was the armor that Saul wanted David to wear when he was going against Goliath. But he's like, it's not going to fit me. It's not going to work. Weapons of war. And a helmet, a war helmet of salvation on his head. Our God is a warrior. We wear his armor. We wear a warrior's armor, but we also wear a priest's armor. Look at the second half of Isaiah 59b. 18b. It says, he put on garments of vengeance for clothing. And wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. You don't have to turn there right now. But in Exodus 28, there are instructions given for how priests should dress. And see, when it says he should be dressed like this, this is the same words that, is, or that are used for how a priest should be dressed. That a priest should have a cloak or a mantle or a robe. That the, 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 the clothes should fit just right. Why didn't David wear Saul's armor? Didn't fit him. Because a priest's garments were made especially for that person, and the fit was important. It says that these garments were for both glory and for beauty. That this is how we conduct ourselves. And we have the picture of God not only wearing warrior garb, but he's also wearing priestly garb because he is the warrior priest. We literally put on the armor of a warrior priest. 
I actually want us to turn there real quick to Exodus. I think it would help. Exodus 28. It says in verse 2, And you shall make holy garments, same word, for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all skillful, to all the skillful, whom I have filled with a spirit of skill, so that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, which we read about in Isaiah 59. A coat of checker work, a turban, a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. We see in verse, if you flip over to 34 real quick. It says a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and pomegranate around the hem of the robe. We're going to come back to that word uh, I think here soon. In Isaiah 6 1, so we're talking about the priest. In Isaiah 6 1, it shows that image again where it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord upon the throne, he high and lifted up, and the train of his robe, the same priestly robe, filled the temple. Why? Because priests are warriors, and warriors are priests. In Numbers 4 30, it says, from 30 years old up to 50 years old, you shall list them, every one who can come to duty, to do the service of the tent of meeting. When it says to do the service of the tent of meeting, the word service is the same word used for service in war. They're saying you are doing service in the tent of meeting, that you are going to war in the tent of meeting. Do you see how the priest is the warrior, and the warrior is the priest, and this is the armor that we carry. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. I, I, I just don't want us to miss this. I don't want us to miss how important this is. I'm going to read it. It's a, a few verses, so hang on. It says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has the name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, not one of a Roman soldier, not one that we see of a warrior, one we see of a priest. Dipped in blood, and by the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven... That's us. The, the armies of heaven in 1 Thessalonians, it talks about the saints being raised up with him. Arrayed in fine linen. This is white priestly linen that we are wearing. White and pure. We're following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the King Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on, this is our God. 
You see, he's not clothed in Roman armor as he's charging on his white horse. We are not clothed in just warrior armor. We are wearing the garments of a priest. We are coming as a righteous people, as the true priests of God forth. We are clothed as warrior priest, but that's not it. Second Chronicles 641. It says, let your priests, we are a, a holy nation or a holy priesthood, right? It says, let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation and let your saints rejoice in your goodness. It says, let your priests be clothed in salvation. You ready for this? The word for salvation is Yeshua. It says, let your priest be clothed in Yeshua, in Jesus. Not our, only are we clothed as a warrior priest, but we are clothed in Christ Jesus himself. We see he wore the garments of a priest. We see that we are clothed in him. I want to turn real quick to Romans 13, 12 through 14. I'm trying to tie this together so we can better understand what the armor of God is, what being clothed in God is. See, it's not just wearing all this physical armor around. That's why when he tells them to sell their tunic to buy swords and they're trying to figure out how that works, he's like, guys, don't you understand? This isn't, this isn't what I mean. I'm trying to set a, a picture for what the armor of God actually is. In Romans 13, 12 through 14, it says, So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. We talked last week about how we are light. Not only are we light, but we are wearing an armor of light. And I'm going to explain how that looks in just a second. It says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That we are putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. The armor of God is Jesus Christ himself. How am I able to understand the scheme, or uh, how am I able to withstand the schemes of the enemy? Well, it's because I'm clothed in Jesus. And remember when we talked about the power of God? Because it's not about my might to withstand these things. It's about the might that's in my God. And if I'm clothed in him, there's nothing that I can't do. There's no place that I can't go. There's no attack that can come against me and prosper because I am the, I'm clothed with the one who contains might. It's his power that I'm clothed with. When we talk around about people not wearing their armor, so how do we, can we take this armor off? thinking about the armor of a priest okay we've moved from warrior to priest can we what how do we go unarmored there's a clue in romans 13 12 through 14 where it says in verse 14 make no provision for the flesh okay flesh blood okay not now 
In Zechariah, you can just look at me. I'm going to read this for you. I want you to try to track this. In Zechariah 3, 3 through 4, it's, it talks about Joshua. He was a priest. It says, Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. You know, when a priest would be doing all these sacrifices for the guilt offering and sin offering, and he would have to cut the throat of the animals, there was a lot of blood. A priest wasn't able to get any blood or flesh on their garments. And if that happened, they wouldn't try to wash it out. They wouldn't try to scrub. They wouldn't put OxyClean on it. They would have to change their garments. They would have to put on fresh priestly garments. They couldn't walk around with blood or flesh on themselves. They had to change. And a lot of times when this would happen, they would use the old priestly garments for the menorah wicks. It's even said that Jesus, when he was wrapped up in the grave, that they actually wrapped him in old priestly garments, which is incredible to think about than his blood covering the blood of those sins soaking through these garments and covering the blood of the guilt that was wrapped around him as he laid in that grave and he had victory over all of it. So a priest couldn't wear a stained garment. In Jude 1.23, let's go there for a second. It says this. And have mercy on those who doubt, verse 22. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So he talks about the, start, the garment that's stained by the flesh. Our garments, our priestly garments, the armor that we are wearing becomes stained when we walk in the ways of our flesh. When we're not yielding to the, to the spirit, when we're not yielding to the word of God, when we're not relying on the power of God, our garments become stained with sin and with guilt, just like the priest, when we try to take things into our own hands and go against God's word when we try fighting battles uh, through rising up in ourselves and relying on our own strength, that's when the garments become stained with the flesh. The way we go out when we're uncovered by the armor of God is when we walk around with priestly garments that are stained by the flesh. That's how it works. How do you know if you're uncovered with your armor? If you are walking around in the ways of the flesh. Do you have habitual sin going on in your life? Do you have any even unrepentant sin going on in your life? Because repentance, just like we talked about with depression, is a key. And once we repent and turn back to the Lord and come in line with what he says, we are literally changing into new garments and are covered once again.
See, we wear the garments. We wear the clothing of a warrior. We wear the clothing of a priest. We actually wear Jesus Christ himself. I'm going to talk about one more thing in regard uh, to the armor. And then we're going we're gonna to close up here in just a little bit. So I'll just stay with me for a little longer. When it talks about, look at Ephesians 6. We're back in the text. Thank you for taking the detour with me. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Psalm 8411 says, for the Lord God is a son and a shield. Remember, we are clothed in Christ Jesus. We have been clothed with actually uh, Yeshua, with salvation, that he is our shield now. Just like the priestly garments were for glory, the shining forth of the sun, God is our sun and our shield. So when the attack of the enemy comes, it talks about a fiery arrow or a fiery dart. It says it's like an arrow. I want to read you something in Psalm 140. The word talks about arrows quite a bit. In, in Psalm 127, remember it says, uh, children, right? Our children are like arrows in a quiver. Our children are supposed to be, as we raise them up in the things of the Lord, they are supposed to be weapons, arrows that we can use against the enemy. That's why we have our kids come in here and learn how to worship so that they can learn how to war like us and then they will become weapons used against the enemy. Because children are arrows. My children, Phineas and Lucius and Nicholas, are arrows in my quiver and they are right now destroying the works of the enemy as a weapon. Psalm 120 says this. It says, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? O warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. It talks about an arrow being like a lie. So remember how arrows represent children? In John 8.44, it says, you are of your father, the devil, he's talking about the Pharisees, and your will, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is the father of lies. So just like our children, when we're in the Lord, are arrows against the, the enemy, the children that the father of lies produces are more lies. And the arrows that the enemy is trying to fire at us are lies. We saw that in Psalm 120. You know, that these arrows, when it talks about the burning coals, they would literally wrap them in coals. They'd put a fire on the tips because they would both pierce someone that way. But not only that, these, think of lies. Okay, think of lies right now. They would land somewhere and light a field on fire so people would have to run to that field to put it out. Distraction. Remember, we talked about the enemy trying to distract you. 
He will fire lies at you. He will fire lies around you so that you're distracted from the mission that God has put you on. Is there a lie that you've been believing for a very long time? I was talking with a, a, a now a good friend. His name is Jerry LaShore. I mentioned him last week. He's a pastor in Aurora. And he was talking about most of our formative years. He does a lot of counseling. Most of our formative years are from the ages of zero to nine years old. I want you to ask the Lord, maybe do it at home with your spouse. Is there a lie that I have been believing that stems back from even then? See, well, that's why the belt of truth is important. That's why wearing Christ Jesus, that's why living a life of repentance is important so we can operate in the priestly garments that we are given. So when lies come, we can say, no, I'm going to use my sword and this is the word of God. This is what is true. I can have my belt fastened tightly. I can have my shield on. I can have my helmet on. My breastplate to protect my heart will be on so that those lies won't penetrate and plant seeds inside of my heart. Both as a warrior and as a priest. I want to close here just in, in a little bit. I, I want us to look at Genesis 3-7. I want to tie this together. So we all know this is the chapter uh, where man falls, where man sins. And imagine being in the garden at this point. Your relationship with God was absolutely perfect. You're walking with God in the cool of the day. You have this connection with him that is absolutely perfect. And you choose to believe a lie. The serpent lies. It's literally an arrow stuck into them. They believe the lie. They take a bite of the fruit. And this is what happens. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. It literally says when they believed this lie, their eyes were opened, and what was the first thing that they noticed? Themselves. What the lies of the enemy are meant to do are to take us from being Christ-centered to being self-centered. That's it. We can put everything in that court, depression, is a form of pride, a form of self-centeredness. I know this can be hard to hear, but what I'm telling you, there are two categories. I'm either God-centered in my perspective, or I am self-centered in my perspective. There are only two perspectives. The lies of the enemy want to come in, hit you, wound you, so you move from the place of being Christ-centered to being self-centered. And this is how it works. We are shot with a lie. We experience pain. And then we respond according to that pain that we are experiencing. Shot with a lie. We experience some kind of pain. And then we respond or we react or project out of that pain. 
For some people, it's anger. I'm telling you, that's why when you're driving and someone cuts you off and all of a sudden you get really angry because you're not in control at that moment. It's not about that moment. It's about a lie that was shot into you and there's pain. So then you're projecting out of that pain. For some people, it is despair. The way they project from their pain is they go into despair. They go into depression. But I'm telling you, it's starting with this idea of self-centeredness in a wrong perspective. Deliverance ministry, when we talk about the demonic and all these other things, deliverance ministry is delivering someone from a self-centered perspective to a Christ-centered perspective. Delivered. It can look a bunch of different ways, but that is the goal. We project in fear, anger, despair, foolishness. It says in verse 7 that they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. It's, it's actually the word covering. And did you know covering is translated in elsewhere as belt or armor? See, what happens when this pain hits us and we become self-centered, that we no longer trust the armor of God, but we try to sew together our own armor. We try to just rise up and trust in our own strength and trust in our own ability and trust in distraction elsewhere, distraction in the workplace, distraction with this, distraction that, and we try to sew together leaves and say, no, I still have armor on. I'm telling you, that armor isn't going to work. There is nothing you can do to manufacture the armor of God. Nothing. I don't care if you've been sewing for 40 years. You can't sew fig leaves together that are going to stop arrows. You know, later on in chapter 3, it's so beautiful. They have these fig leaves on. They've been shot with lies. They've given into these lies. Maybe you've given into lies and you, the way you've responded to lies, instead of being open and having people help you take these arrows out and replace them with truth, maybe you've tried to sew together a protective fig leaf around yourself. You isolate. You just project in anger. You don't let anyone in. You try to control You try to never set yourself up in a situation where you can fail. You don't put yourself out there fake armor. It's time to trade in your armor today. That is fake armor. Listen, there's no amount of hype that can replace the Holy Spirit. There's no, no amount of lights we talked about that can replace the, the Spirit of God. He desires to move. Take away and cast down your fake armor so you can be clothed with Jesus Christ. This isn't hype. This isn't excitement. This is the truth of God and the truth of his word. But it says... In Genesis 3, as they're standing there with these fig leaves on, that God provided for them garments made of animal skin. He's like, that's not going to do. Even though you've sinned against me, I'm still going to give you something else. And the word it uses for garments is the same word we see when the priests are putting on their garments in Exodus 28. He's like, listen, even though you've sinned against me, even though you've walked far away from me, I will still clothe you with the garments of a priest if you turn to me. I will still clothe you like a priest if you turn to me. I 
Are you wearing the clothing of God today? Are you wearing the clothing of a warrior, the clothing of a priest that is unstained? And I'm telling you, if it is stained, repent today and you will be given new priestly garments that you can continue on to battle and to stay on the mission that God has given you. Here's the last thing, the stories of God. This is real quick. The power of God, the clothing of God, the stories of God, these are the right things that we carry. It says in verse 21, It says, so that you may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace, to be, be, peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. He's saying, hey, I, I want to send someone to you, the stories of God. I want to send someone to you so that you will know who we are, how we are, that you will know what God is doing even as I'm in prison, Paul is writing. So by the power of testimony, we are going to overcome, it says in Revelation chapter 12, by the blood of the lamb and the power of our testimony, saying, I'm sending someone to you so you can hear more stories about how great, about how mighty our God is, about how the saints are standing firm and persevering in the things of the Lord, even when it's hard, even when arrows are being shot at them, that they are standing tall because they are clothed with Christ Jesus, the armor of God. Because the result Paul says is that you will be encouraged. So that's what we're talking about today. I'm going to invite the Peru team to come up and you guys are just going to have a chance to pray over us. You're going to have a chance to activate some of the uh, weapons we've been giving, uh, given of prayer. So the Peru team's going to come up here. Nick's going to lead that time. I just want to say after service, if something resonated with you, uh, I, want to, I want to pray in the spirit. I want to pray in tongues. We're going to have a ministry team up here as well that will pray with you to receive that. If you are here and you've been realizing that you are walking around in flesh-stained garments, come up here today. Repent. There's a team up here who's going to love you and who's going to lead you through that, and you will be set free and will carry the armor of God in a new way. Peru team, come up. Isaiah 52, 7 says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, and who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, you watchmen, lift up your voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Father, we ask that songs would rise up from these men's mouths, God, as they go. Lord, we ask that your word would be firmly planted in their heart. Jesus, we ask that as they take each step, they would feel your favor and your peace and your power on them everywhere they go. 
Father, we ask for divine encounters, Lord. We pray that they would snatch people from the darkness as they go. We pray that they would strengthen and encourage the missionaries who are already there, that they would firm up the pegs that are already in the ground that are there right now, that the Brasso family would feel encouraged, that they would know they are loved, that they are not alone. Jesus, we ask right now that the power of darkness would be driven back from that area. Lord, that it would become a kingdom. Lord, that it would become a picture of heaven for those in the surrounding areas and that they would know that there is a God in heaven who reigns and who is active and living among his people. Father, we pray that there would be no fear, no fear right now in Jesus' name in any of these men and that when the time comes that they would step out and they would do what is required of them. Father, we thank you for us who are left behind, God, for us who are still here, Lord, that we have the opportunity to intercede for them, to lift them up in prayer, Lord, to wake up in the middle of the night, Lord, and to war against the things that are going on. Jesus, we know that you give us insight into what's going on in the heavenly realms, and so would we be attuned to that. Let our ears be attuned, Lord, to pray for these men and to lift them up. Jesus, we just ask above all else that your will is done and that your kingdom is advanced. God, we thank you that darkness cannot overcome what we bring. We pray these things. We also pray for the families of those that they leave behind, God, that they would not feel alone, that they would not feel discouraged, but that they would be strengthened as well. We ask for the wives and the children to know that they are loved, that they're protected. God, we ask that your hand would minister to them, that the body would minister to them. Jesus, we thank you for the parents also that are sending away their sons, God. We just ask that your comfort would be present in their lives. Jesus, we thank you that we are doing what your word tells us to do, to go out and to teach everyone to obey what you've commanded us, God. So we thank you that we get to take part in building your kingdom. Bless these men. Fill them with your power in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, hey, we have uh, prayer signups that are going to be happening. Um, you can sign up online. Home group leaders are going to be sending those out. So if you want to, if, can all the home group leaders and ministry people who are going to come up and pray for people just come up now? So any of these people you can talk to, if you want to get on uh, the prayer list to pray for us as we're in Peru, we're setting it up for every hour and a half. A new team is praying. We're hoping to do it around the clock. Talk to them. They will get your email address. Um, if you're here today, why doesn't everybody stand right now? If you're here and any of those things resonated with you, you want someone to pray for repentance, praying in the spirit, any of those things, you can come up. So, Father, we just pray a blessing, God, Lord, that we would go out in the power that you've given us, in the clothing that you've given us, in the stories that you've given us. Lord, we praise you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys.